At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. We don't always feel like we're trusting, right? Have you been there that in a place where you wouldn't say you're abandoning God, you just don't, you're not sure if this is what faith really means, if this is what it feels like. And yet, soon you get beyond that immediacy of that burden, you look back and say, well, God didn't fail me. Even when my faith was struggling and not really even being able to be described as, as faith, and yet, so my, my, I was faithless in that moment, but God wasn't faithless in his, all right, that his, his strength held me in my times of wandering. Thanks for singing that. We need that. We need to hear that. In fact, I found that I need to sing Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, even when I'm not feeling like I am. Don't think for a moment that if you can't, if you're not feeling something, you can't sing it. Because when we sing his truth, we're preaching his truth to ourselves. And it can bring our hearts and our feelings to where the truth is. So even those midst of times when you're really struggling with feeling trust, proclaim it, and you'll find your heart will begin to trust. This is Memorial Day. It's a, it's a holiday that in our country has kind of come to be like barbecues and boat rides, right? How many have a barbecue planned or you did it or you have it planned this weekend? Can I see your hand? All right, good. How many are really going on a boat in this cold, chilly weekend? All right, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. Way to fight it. The sun's shining, so why not? right? I encourage us to also take time to remember the purpose of the holiday. Memorial Day has its beginnings three years after the Civil War, uh, when uh, one of the generals of that war remembered with great agony the men that he lost in the battle and he proposed to our national leaders to have a day of decoration where they would celebrate the lives of those that were lost by decorating their graves that were scattered all throughout that eastern part of, of the United States. And so it was first known as Decoration Day. And it was about 100 years later that Congress made official in, six, in 1968, that the first or the last Monday of May would be set aside as a day of remembrance, as Memorial Day, so that the nation could have a long weekend, but to remember those that uh, had given their lives in the Civil War, as upwards of uh, 700,000 men and women lost their lives in the Civil War. But now we can add to that certainly World War I and World War II and uh, Vietnam and the Korean War and the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and the various peacekeeping missions 
Um, Memorial Day reminds us that we have a nation with liberties that need to be protected. And many have given their lives for that protection. So I think it would be very good for us, uh, even as we begin our time together studying His Word, to ask God's blessing on our nation, on our leaders, on our president, on those who are presently serving, and those who are mourning uh, today. So would you join me, with me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for our country. Thank you for a place where we can gather to worship you, Lord, in freedom. Father, we take it so for granted way too often. But today, Lord, we want to express our gratitude to you for this. Father, we know that the freedom has come at a great cost. We, Lord, ask your blessing on those families that even now are grieving as their loved ones have given the ultimate price for our freedoms, Lord. So thank you for them. Uh, we, we pray for the protection of our nation, Lord. We pray for guidance and wisdom for our President Biden and his cabinet. I pray it surrounds him with wise counsel. Be with our legislators and our judicial system, or those that serve, Lord, in it. We, we pray that you would... Lord, continue to inspire wisdom and good will and goodness and righteousness into the hearts of those that we've elected, those that represent us. We pray in our local uh, governments, Lord, that our, our leaders would understand our appreciation for them, that they would, uh, Lord, feel a community around them that works together for the better of our communities. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on our land. We pray your blessing on this holiday. Protect people. Give, give wisdom, Lord, to people as they make their choices. I pray that, Father, they would be responsible and, and careful and they would, would think of their family as they, as they celebrate today. So bless our time now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Memorial Day, a day we remember hundreds and thousands of those who have given their lives for us. War is a terrible thing. Would you agree? War is a terrible thing. You just look at the news reports of the conflict in the Middle East over these past couple of weeks, and you see your heartache throughout that area as rockets are launched into... Um, neighborhoods, and it, and it breaks your heart. It seems that in our fallen world, war is, almost seems to be a constant, that it's happening somewhere, but war is just one of the terrible things happening somewhere. There's, there's heartache all around us. There's heartache in this room. There's heartache in the hearts of those that are watching here, that maybe struggled gathering today because of the level of their heartache. Heartache happens and sorrow happens to the worst in society, and it happens to the rest of society. In fact, if you haven't had a time of deep suffering and deep grief in your life, let me lovingly say, brace yourself because you will. 
We all have times of sorrow and grief. There will all be times where we ask the questions, why did God let this happen? Some of you are asking that question today. And we want to be a people of God that are honest about that. That don't try to paint this Christianity into this plastic facade of just, well, actually, yeah, life hurts, but the truth is, I'm happy because Jesus told me to. But that's not what he called us to. He said, blessed are those that mourn. His followers said, we sorrow, just not as those that have no hope. That we recognize that in our sorrow, in our deep grieving, that God reigns and that we can turn to him in our sorrow. We can sorrow differently than those that don't know Jesus. And so we've been spending time in the book of Lamentations. If you have your Bibles, uh, maybe you'll find it quicker today than you did last week. I encourage you to turn in, in it, uh, in your Bibles, to the book of Lamentations. It's, it's five short chapters. It's a poem that is probably penned by Jeremiah. So if you find the book of Jeremiah, keep going, because right after Jeremiah's book of prophecy is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations helps us understand that pain and suffering can be used by God to bring us to a higher place. That we need to turn to God in our sorrows as we lament. Lament, we've defined as a prayer of pain that leads to trust in God. Would you just try saying that with me? Lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust in God. One more time. Lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust in God. So lament is really a journey. It's a prayer that leads us to something. It's not a, it's not a cul-de-sac of experience where you experience something painful and then, and then you just spin in this place of despair. Instead, it's a journey through despair to trust in God. In fact, there's, there's kind of like four main places in elements of this journey of lament. Lament is turning to God in our pain. Lament involves asking, or bringing to God our complaints. God, why did you let this happen? What did I do to deserve this? Lament me involves asking God for insight and help. Lament involves trusting Him. All right, you got your Bibles in your lap? Put them down so get your hands free. All right, let me try to help you remember this because you're going to have a time of suffering. Some of you in it right now, this is going to be so important for you. Some of you aren't, but you're going to soon, so you'll need to remember this. Lament involves Take your hands with, it, with your pointer finger and turn to God, right? Lament involves turning to God. It involves complaining to God, all right? This is what you husbands do when you get to the dinner table and she, and she made it again. <laughs> what? I, I, I really don't like this. You never say that. 
because you grilled today. And she's saying, I don't like salmon. Why'd you grill salmon again? Lament involves turning to God, bringing your complaints to him, and then asking for his guidance and help. All right, you with me? Some of you stop doing the motions. All right, you're going to hit a time of suffering and you're going to say, all I, all I remember is complaining. Is this right? No, you, you, that's not where it ends. In your complaint, you ask God for insight and guidance. And then fold those hands together, grip it, because that's what you do in your lament. You conclude by trusting God. So one more time. The journey of lament involves turning to God, bringing him your complaints, asking for insight and help, and choosing to trust. Good. We're done. We're not. We're not. Chapter 2, we didn't even get into the book of Lamentations yet. I'm just kind of giving you an overview of what Lamentations is. But kids, when you get to the car today on your way home, say to the person not in the driver's seat, say to them, hey, do you remember those four things? Can you do them? All right, and let's see if your kids or the adults remember those four motions quickest. All right. Lamentations chapter 2. Let me tell you one more thing about the book of Lamentations. It is a book of poetry. Hebrew poetry can be difficult to understand. In fact, if you look at different versions from the NIV to the KJV to the ESV, you'll see the wording probably a little bit more variety to the different versions than maybe other passages of Scripture. It's because poetry is difficult uh, to translate and capture the emotive journey that the poet, poet is, is taking as he's writing this. The essence you'll see is the same, but, it, but it'll, it'll be a bit different of an expression. But there, it's a book of poetry. It's actually five poems. Each chapter is a separate poem. It's a poem written by the prophet Jeremiah as he's observing the destruction of his nation. The Babylonian Empire just came into the land of Judah and obliterated the nation. And now he's watching the ruins, probably the smoke still smoldering in the city of Jerusalem. And he pens this poem or these five poems in his mourning, in his lamenting what had happened to his country. First poem we looked at last week, we saw the nation personified as a grieving widow. And we saw hard questions asked to God. How could you let this happen? How, how, did, how did anyone deserve this? And what can I learn from this? In chapter 2, it's a second poem and notice the first word is the same as the chapter 1, at least in the ESV, it's that word how. But the subject is different. Chapter 1, the subject was the nation and what it was going through. Chapter 2, the second poem, the main subject is God himself. So as I read this, you're going to see God cast in a pretty difficult light. 
In fact, we've titled or, or made our big idea of this, of this chapter, of this poem, this phrase. When God becomes the enemy, we must cry out to him. When God becomes the enemy. As we start to read this, I think you'll see why this seems to be the big idea of this poem. So let's look at verse 1 through 4. This this poem of lament. Verse 1 says, How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He's cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He's brought down the ground in dishonor, the kingdom and its rulers. He's cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He's withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand, set like a foe. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. And if you skip to verse 17, you see kind of a culmination of this description. Verse 17 says, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Some incredibly descriptive words of God. In essence, you could say God is angry. That's what Jeremiah is writing in this poem of lament as he sees the rubble of his city. He says, God is angry. But here's his conclusion. God is right in being angry. This is a part of God we don't really like to think about. We, we like to think of God's kindness and his mercy and his grace and his compassion. And he loves to come and help those who are in trouble. But Jeremiah saw a facet of God that we can't deny. That God can be angry. Now why in the world would that even be true? Our kids know because they've been learning some very important concepts about God and about his good news. In fact, Liam, come down here, if you would, please. There's there's some concepts of God's truth that the kids learn over and over in these stories. Would you stand on that step so people can see you and just hold up that icon? We see a crown. This crown helps our kids and will help us understand this very important truth in the scripture, that God rules. Can you say that with me? God rules. The world is his. In fact, scripture says the world is the Lord's and everything that it contains. All right, on a count of three, I want you, everybody here, to point to something in the room. Ready? One, two, three. All right, yep, God owns that too. Thanks, put your hands down. Everything you pointed to is his. 
Because the Lord made this world. It's his handiwork. But there's another cool truth about the people of Israel, the people of Judah that the Lamentations is written about, is that the people of Israel were God's twice. In fact, in the book of Exodus in chapter 19, when God was bringing the people out of Egyptian slavery, he, he said to them that I'm bringing you out of slavery and I am making you my treasured possession or my treasured nation. In other words, the Jewish people were not just gods because he made them. Not only did he make them like he made all people, God chose the Jewish people out of all the nations in the world to be his treasured people. So God rules over all the world, specifically and most intensely, God rules over the Jewish people. God rules. Thank you, Liam. Nice work. I cannot believe how still you stood with that icon. I'm going to remind you of how you can do it. Sometime. So God cared for his people faithfully. He gave them a promise and a warning. He said to King Solomon, the third king of Israel, he said, and Solomon dedicated his temple, and God says, I'm pleased to come dwell in your temple, and I call you to follow me with all your heart. And as you follow me, I will bless you. I'll protect you from other nations. I'll protect you from pestilence. When there's famine and you come to the temple and you pray, I will come and I'll end the famine. When you need rain, you come to the temple, you pray, I will bring rain. I will take care of you. But if you choose to turn away from me, if you choose to worship other gods, then I will remove my hand of blessing from you and other nations will come against you. And pestilence will come, and rain will come, because you stepped away from my place of blessing. But when you call on me, I will hear your prayer. When you humble yourself before me, I will come and I'll heal your land, and I'll come and protect you again and heal you. And for the next 500 years, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, followed this same cycle. They'd worship God because of his blessings. And then they'd think, I wonder if the world has anything to offer me. And they turn away from God. They worship false idols. God's right hand that would protect them was now removed. And difficulty and pain and heartache came to them. God would send warnings. He'd send his prophets to warn them. Eventually, somebody would repent, and if you would turn, God, over and over in the Old Testament, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy and, and long-suffering, healed their land. But God continued to warn them, if you keep turning from me, I will remove my hand of blessing, and I will, I will take you out of the land and take you into foreigners' land. You'll lose your nation. Five hundred years to the point then there were kings that over and over and over disregarded God's law and rebelled. Finally, 
God says, my patience has run out and destruction is coming. Jeremiah the prophet warned them, warned them over and over and over. But instead of heeding his warning, they took Jeremiah and they threw him in a pit. They threw him in what's called a cistern. This was a holding tank of water underground where they would, we would draw water out of springs, pour it in the water, and that's where they would store their water. Instead, they, that's where they stored the prophet because they were sick and tired of his warnings. And that's how they closed their ears to it. And that's why God sent the Babylonian Empire that would be God's instrument of destruction. That's why Jeremiah could write, God has become like an enemy. I think, I think most of us understand this because most of us are either kids or we one time were kids. Is that a safe assumption? All right, we've got two types of people in the room. We've got kids. Raise your hand if you're in that group. Okay, yep, thank you. Raise your hand if you're in the group of people that once were kids. I see your hand. All right, it's about 50-50. Yep, evenly divided, right? So as kids, we understand what it means when sometimes mom and dad don't feel very friendly. Is that right? In fact, kids, I want you to ask, after you do the contest of, you know, that, then say, hey, dad, would you tell me about a time when you got in trouble? When you were a kid, right? Because that's when it seems sometimes like our parents aren't the friends that we thought they were. I remember when I was, I had to be like six. And I had a friend that lived across our fence in the back, our back fence. And I would hop the fence, this kind of kitty corner, so I'd hop the corner of the fence and get into Tracy's yard. And I remember one time in particular, um, I, I, was, I was throwing a tennis ball to him, and he was, he was swinging the bat. And, of course, the house makes a good backstop, right, so the ball doesn't keep going. And, and he makes this silly statement. He says, we need to move away from the window so we don't break it. And I said, Tracy, it's a tennis ball. You can't break a window with a tennis ball. Uh-huh. No, you can't. Uh-huh. You can't watch. And I threw it, and and I learned you can break a window with a tennis ball. And in that moment, I thought, I don't think I'm going to stay here anymore. I'm going to go home. And so I ran, hopped the fence, and went home, got on my bike, and thought, I'm done that game. And then came home and met my dad who met Tracy's dad. Apparently, they had a conversation. And so dad told me that we need to go to Tracy's house. So I, 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 I don't want to go to Tracy's house. In fact, I didn't want to talk to my dad. <laughs> right? Because I felt in this, my heart that dad wasn't going to be my friend in this moment. I'm feeling like my dad is not on my side. Together, we hopped the fence and worse, we found Tracy's dad. So now there's two adults, and I knew both of them were not on my side. 
Was it because they were so mean? Or was it because I had broken a window? I broke a window. Here's the nation of Judah. Here's Jeremiah the prophet. It's saying God has become like an enemy. He has sent these en- this enemy, this, uh, this foreign nation to our land and they've killed our people and they've torn down our nation. And God's right hand that used to be a place of safety for us now is dangerous to us. He's become like an enemy to us. But Jeremiah was writing from that place of recognizing. But it's right for God to become our enemy. It's right for God to be angry with us. Why? Because we have rebelled against God. But the poem continues in verse 5. Verse 5 says, The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He swallowed up all its palaces. He's laid in ruins its stronghold. He's multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentations. He's laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting places. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath. His fierce indigation has spurned king and priest. He has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. And on and on it goes. In the poem, Jeremiah is saying, everything I think of in our city is ruined. The palace is destroyed. My home is gone. The wall that protected us has crumbled. The temple is obliterated. The marketplace, the meeting place, everything in my city is gone. This had never happened to them before. In the times that God would come to discipline them in the past, God would like bring judgment to various cities or different parts of the city of Jerusalem, but never was there total obliteration of the nation. Even though God promised that that would happen, God in his mercy said, I'll just do this and draw you back to myself. But now God's patient was up and he thoroughly dealt with their sin. The second part of this poem helps us know that God is thoroughly dealing with sin. God had warned them over and over and over, and they refused to acknowledge him. So finally he says, I am true to my promise. I need to bring destruction. There's a second icon. This helps the kids remember. In fact, is there a kid that knows what this reminds us of? Anybody? Liam, do you know? Holler it out. We sin. Here's the reality. God rules. This is his world. How do we respond to that? We sin. 
we failed to be true to God's call and how to live in his kingdom, we sin. But in the midst of it, God provides a savior. So in the nation of Israel that's being lamented here, God is thoroughly dealing with their sin. He's recognizing that all of the specters and spheres of the society have rebelled against God. So he brings utter destruction to the land of Judah. A bit of how God would fully and thoroughly deal with the sin of mankind. You see, the destruction of Jerusalem points to a time when the anger of God was poured out towards all of humanity. And yet, in that demonstration of his anger, God also demonstrated his love. That occurred when Jesus gave his life on the cross. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. The destruction of Jerusalem illustrates how God has poured out his wrath on our sins, but he poured it out on Jesus. And he thoroughly dealt with our sin through the death of Jesus. Do you ever have that thought of, why did Jesus have to go through such a a death of torture? Why was it so horrible? It's because our sin is horrible. It's so horrible that the Son of God would experience the worst that humanity could lash out against him as he gave his life on the cross. Third, in the poem in Lamentations chapter 2, we see that God is doing this to bring us to repentance. Number three, God is working to bring us to repentance. Listen to verse 19. Arise, the poet calls out, arise, cry in the night, at the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord, lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. The suffering was severe, the children were suffering, but the poet realized that there is only one way of salvation for them, and that's to turn to the one who directed the destruction. Jeremiah knew that at the heart of God, who allowed this destruction in their life, at the heart of God was mercy and grace. So he calls his nation not to run from God, though God felt like an enemy and you felt like you should run away, but instead you lift your hands to him because he's not the enemy. He is your deepest friend. So turn your hearts in repentance to him.
The purpose that God had in this terrible destruction was that they turn fully back to him. Now, a question that's on the hearts of people as they read through the book of Lamentations is this question. Well, God, does God still do this today? When, when I turn away from him, does he pour out all this destruction on me? Is that the kind of God that he is? Well, a couple of thoughts. One, we have to remember that the book of Lamentations is written about a specific time in history when God did something specific for the, a specific people. So we can't make this equal um, connection that because, because the nation of Israel rebelled, their house fell down. It's not proper to think that if I take that cookie out of the cookie jar I was told not to take, my house might fall down. That's not the lesson here. But the lesson is that God loves his children and he will use difficulty to draw you to him. God will design a purpose for the difficulties that you face so that your hearts turn to him. That's why it's so important for us to learn how to lament. When things aren't right, when things are broken in this world and it grieves your heart, instead of running away from God or shouting your fist, throwing your fists up at him, instead, turn to him, express your complaints to him, but ask for his insight. And his help, because there may be some things in your life that he is correcting. Hebrews chapter 12, in the New Testament, it says, The Lord disciplines the children whom he loves. And that God does this type of work, that he allows difficulty in our life to draw us back to himself. Not as a cruel, heartless Lord, but instead like a father who knows that his son needs to face the consequences for his actions and takes his son's hand and says, let's go face the music and takes us across the fence and go to the one who I offended to apologize to the man who owns the house that has the glass window that now lay in shatters. And I take responsibility for that because if I don't face the music for something like that, what will happen when I have greater offenses in my life? So I had a dad that loved me so much to help me learn how to make things right when I don't do right. Dad showed himself as my very best friend when he felt like an enemy to me because he brought me to the point of correction. And God does the same thing for us. He brings us through difficult seasons to turn our hearts to him because there may be something in our lives that aren't right. So the father lovingly corrects his children. But listen, the father also lovingly instructs his kids. It's not just, it's not just hardship of correction. Sometimes life contains hardship of instruction. That he allows us to experience difficulties. So we see different facets of who he is. So we can see that God is a God to turn to when there's times of suffering. So don't think that every time you have hardship in your life, God is trying to correct you. Maybe. In fact, I always encourage to ask that question first. God, is there something 
in my life that's not right because I know if it's not right, then I'm missing your blessing. But maybe it's not corrective. Maybe if God doesn't reveal anything to your life that needs correction, maybe your next question should be, God, then is there something about you that I need to learn? And in this time when life isn't right and I'm face to face with things that break my heart, God, what can I learn about you? Oh, God, make it right because this doesn't seem consistent with your character. If you're ruling over our world, then why are these things happening? But Lord, if you've allowed it, you've got a design for it. And help me see what that is. Folks, can we just admit, life hurts. A number of you did last week, even as we closed the service. We have this rustic box here in the front and the table filled with blank pieces of paper. That All through this series, as we sing songs or as we close service, if there's a burden on your heart of something in, the life, in your life that you're lamenting, I encourage you to admit it to God, turn to Him, you can express that by writing it on that piece of paper, throwing it in there. I've been praying over those things this week. Thank you for allowing me the chance just to pray with you over these things that aren't right. I welcome you to continue to do that. Maybe as we do that today, maybe we can go to the next question and say, God, with those things that I'm grieving about, do you have a message for me? Something about you or something about me that I need to learn. Let's pray right now. Father, the world is a mess. There's things that hurt deeply. There's things that don't, we don't understand. There's, there's people that are suffering we wish they wouldn't and so lord we ask you to work in those situations and bring hope and healing to them but while you're working lord i pray that you would work in us because we know you are a god of goodness and mercy and you are greater than anything that can come against us lord in our in all our adversity lord you we can be more than conquerors through christ so lord we know that you have something beautiful in store when we face these difficult times. Lord, if there's sin in our life that we need to confess and change, I pray you would do that work in us. We want to turn from that, Lord. Turn away from the things that are broken, from those habits of ours that bring destruction to others. Or maybe it's a, a, a thought life that we have, Lord, that's robbing us of, of joy. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude towards someone else, Lord, that we need to bring to you. Whatever it is, Lord, correct us, forgive us, transform us. Just pour out your blessing on us, Lord, in this time of adversity, we pray. Our hearts are prone to wander, to leave you, Lord, but instead we want to, in this moment, we want to turn back to you and find our strength in you. So work in us, we pray, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.